0: Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge podcast where we discuss creatives of color disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and on this episode I am joined by Jerry L. Barrow to review the 40-year-old version starring, written, and directed by Rada Blank. Take a listen. Welcome back to the Spectrum Lounge, Jerry Barrow. How are you?
1: hey thanks for having me back it's been it feels like it's been a while
0: it has like, well you're 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 here. you're off in your podcasting world you have your own podcast so.
1: oh this is this is true this is true <laughs> and let me tell you i don't know how you've done this for so long <laughs> it's a lot of work when mm-hmm. you are just your own booker mm-hmm. your own producer your own editor it's a your lot. own interviewer <laughs> just, <laughs> Doing the oh research, God. yep. Doing the research for the prepare the preparations for the interviews. And then you got to do the promotion of the interview once it's live. and Yes. Across multiple platforms and, you know, setting up the feeds, making sure, oh, wait. You know how many times I've scheduled it for the wrong time? Like, I usually schedule it for 1 a.m. <laughs> and I've scheduled it for 11 p.m. the next <laughs> day. So many. I wake up in the morning like, yo, why come my feed hasn't popped yet? Why is it still private? I told you. Oh, dummy, <laughs> you put the wrong time in.
0: It's a pain. So, it is a pain. It's a lot of work. Uh, podcasting is work. But you got to love it in order to do it. That's I, I do. And I yeah. do
1: love mine. I love mine. Mm-hmm. I've gotten so much great feedback on oh, that's good. The Fathers Who Bothers. So I'm. that's what keeps me going, honestly, is when people text me saying, yo, that episode, man. Mm-hmm. Yo, I didn't. So I have, I have a lot of fathers and non-fathers hitting me up. Just really grateful and thankful that, you know, I'm doing it. so awesome. that's, that's, what, I mean, that's what keeps me going. <laughs>
0: so we, uh, on this episode of The Spectrum Lounge, um, we will be reviewing uh, the new Netflix film, The 40-Year-Old Version. That's yeah. V-E-R-S-I-O-N, not the Steve Carell movie um it will be releasing on netflix uh friday uh october 9th um and i'm so excited about this movie it um i know that uh 40 year old version premiered at netflix um at sundance excuse me um and it it got a lot of critical praise and um i i'm i'm really really was excited to see this movie. Um, And so the movie star is stars and is written and directed by Rada blank. Um, And I just love this movie. I was just like, I have to have Jerry on because, you know, we're both seventies babies um yeah. and in our 40s and we're both bk babies as well yeah. so i was like i can't really think of anybody else i could do this podcast <laughs> with other than you i mean i love my other critic friends but i was just like you know some of them are a lot of them are new york transplants and i'm like um. no you you got to be born here like i you know what i mean like it where were you born uh brooklyn cumberland brookdale what what are the major uh, hospitals in Brooklyn? I'm trying oh to yeah,
1: well it's Kings County, which is where I was born. Same. And Then Brooklyn, you know, then you know, downstate. And, mm-hmm. um, oh, downstate, yeah. Downstate Medical Center and then Brooklyn Hospital and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I'm am a Kings County baby. I, <laughs> I love I love Rada. I love this movie. And I can't wait for us to get into it.
0: Yeah. So uh, basically a quick synopsis, Uh, 40-year-old version follows Rada. Um, Her actual character's name is Rada as well. Um, She is a playwright, um, and it seems that she was on the rise. Uh, She was on a list of 30 under 30 uh, of promising playwrights, and then it sort of became A dream deferred. Um, So when we meet her in the movie, she is approaching 40, and basically all the promise and, you know, the expectations, her career basically has not gone the way that she expected. Um, She is teaching playwriting to a group of high school kids, um, hasn't really produced anything in, I think, close to a decade. Um, And so she basically decides, you know, to take this other or this new creative uh, route by becoming a rapper, <laughs> and that's hilarious in itself. Um, but yeah, I, d- I just wanted, just off the cuff, what did you think of the movie?
1: What were your first impressions? What your I, first? I I really liked it. I was biased from the jump, mm-hmm. just to be honest. Full full disclosure. So I'm watching the screener. I mean, I saw the trailer, and I said, okay, I need to see this movie because when she was rapping in the trailer about what it was like being 40, even though she was re- speaking from a woman's perspective, I still related to a lot of what she was saying. Like, why are they sending me AARP stuff in the mail? Like why <laughs> is this? why is my body betraying me? You know? And then I actually started watching it and I saw one of my good friends, Guy Route, is was the music director. And I was like, oh, I now I'm really gonna get into this because Guy is Ferramont, his manager and oh wow. Huge hip hop head. And he was an artist himself back in the 80s. And so he just had all this experience. And this was his first, um, you know, time working on a film. Mm-hmm. And so I was just plugged in from the musical perspective. But just from a, from a plot point, I felt Radha so much because I I, 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 I w- I've never been on any 30 under 30s or 40 under 40s. But when I was a kid, I was given that gifted and talented label yeah, and anybody that's had that put on them, you feel this immense pressure that like your life should be a certain way. By the time you get to a certain age, like they put all this expectation on you. Well, you're, you're the best and the brightest is kind of like the whole talented 10 thing. Yes. And you feel like you get to 30, 35 and you're just like, well, shoot, how come I'm not a VP of something by now? How come I'm looking at my peers and I'm like, they've got titles higher than me. And I'm like, well, what am I doing wrong? Like I did have the EIC title once upon a time, but you know, that, that was a long time ago now. So it's like, what you doing now, Hammer? Mm-hmm. So I really related to what Rada was going through, but then it was just a fun movie. Like the, she's hilarious and relatable. The, the opening, I don't know how much we're going to spoil. Is this going to be spoiler free or not? But um, um yes, we'll, just we'll had put a lot of fun with it. And it, yeah, and, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, she shot it in black and white, so it had kind of like the Hollywood shuffle feel, and then she's doing the similar critiques of, instead of, instead of it being Hollywood, it's, you know, theater. And, you know, I've been to some some plays and had some insight into how that, that whole world works. It's not that much different from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> I'm watching it, and I'm thinking about um, the, the Tupac play that they did um, a couple years back um, Holla if you hear me. Oh my God, and, I remember and, that. And Saul Williams. I think we. I think I took you to see that with. Me. We yeah, we went to see it together. And um, they had, you know, Saul Williams was the lead. And I didn't find out too recently that that was supposed to have been Chadwick Boseman. What? But he, yeah, he oh, was, wow. it was supposed to have been Chadwick Boseman, but he um, got a. I think I want to say it was forty two, um, and ended up doing the movie instead of doing the, the, the play. So I'm just... My worlds just collided with this movie because, you know, I'm a huge hip-hop head, but, you know, I've been focused more on film and TV for the last, you know, four years. Mm. But here was my opportunity to have both of my worlds, you know, collide. And it was... And Radha's amazing. I got to talk to her last week, and we just felt a kindred spirit because I was calling out some of the cameos that you'll see in the film, and she was like, I'm so glad that you said that because even though we did... Well, at Sundance, I was reading these reviews and no one caught the cameos. No mm. one got excited about who the bus driver was. No one got excited about who the guy on the train selling oils was. And she was like, but I made it for us, for us to get excited. You know, because she went to Murray Bertram High School, which is the same high school that Q-Tip and um, some of, uh, a lot of rappers, New York rappers, went to Murray Bertram. So it all made sense. And, and Rod is definitely of us. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that um, I, I knew of her. She did this really hilarious parody. I, I keep calling it a parody, but it's like she did a remix of Big Daddy Kane's Ain't No Half Steppin called Hotep's Hotepin'. <laughs> where she basically, she's basically, you know, taking the task of, you know, what we call the ashy types that are, you know, telling women how they're supposed to, you know, how their bodies are supposed to operate and all this other crazy pseudoscience that they... But she's spin. You know, she's got bars. Like, she, the thing with Rada too is like she's rapping, but it's not really, she's not whack. It's not like she's forced. Yes. Like, and she's reminding you that, you know, just because you're over a certain age doesn't mean you don't have talent, doesn't mean you don't have skills. And I think, if anything, at this age, you have more to rap about. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, you know, I mean, a lot of rappers say, you know, their debut albums are their best because they put their entire lifetime, Into that debut album, they put their twenty years worth of experience into that album. So by the time their second or third one comes around, it's like, okay, what am I rap about now? But she's coming from this perspective of a woman who's lived life, and it's like, you know what? It's not all you know peaches and cream, roses. However, so I just found her really relatable and funny, and you know the cash she put together is a lot of fun. Um, but I'm I'm, I feel like I'm rambling. (laughs) <laughs> let you chime in here
0: oh no um no it was um watching that movie it was like um i you know movies that star black women whether it's tv shows or or films i always feel like i see some aspect of myself um in a lot of these characters whether it's you know olivia pope or annalise Um, Keating or, you know what I mean? Like I I will, you know, for me, um, I think a couple of days ago, someone was asking um, what TV character, what TV character do you remember seeing yourself most in? And, you know, I gave, I was like, when I was, when I was a kid, I saw myself in Tootie, in uh from facts of life that was the first time that i i felt like oh wow look at this brown skinned yeah. little girl and i was you know and she had like the bangs like her bang game was ridiculous everybody's trying to get the tootie bang <laughs> and i just right. i could not get it right and then right. when i was in my 20s i saw myself in nia long in love jones um that was just like mm. Nina Mosley and you know well you knew me back then it was just sort of like people were like oh you look oh, like Oh yeah you. i remember yeah you know and um i just i i i styled my hair like her you know a lot of the outfits that she wore in love jones and even you know stuff she was wearing in soul food like i was i was a huge neelong fanatic um but now, if you ask me now, which character I see, I would definitely say Rada in forty-year-old version. <laughs> <laughs> like I felt so seen in this movie, so seen. I mean, I don't think I'm as witty or funny as Rada, but just so many things that she talked, that what you mentioned, things that she was talking about uh, when you turn woman, when you turn forty, particularly with a woman's body. They don't tell you, they don't warn you about that shit. Like they only tell you about menopause, right? They're like, oh, menopause, you know, it hits you in your fifties. And then, you know, you got to look forward to heat flashes and, you know, vaginal dryness and, you know, a dip in your, you know, uh, lower sex drive, like just all these negative things. And I was like, oh my God. And let's not talk about when you find that first gray hair in your pubic hair. Let's talk about it. Like, I remember when I saw it, when I found my, I think it was a few years ago, and I freaked the fuck out. I was like, what is that? I thought it was, I, 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 what did I think it was? I, I just thought it was like a piece of string or something. And it was like, oh, no, this is actually mine. And it was like, <laughs> and I was like, I could live with gray hair. I'd seen a couple of gray hairs at my temple. And I was like, okay, I can live with that because, you know, I can mm. dye it. But right. for me, like the the gray pubic hair, that was for me like
1: the old bush. Yes.
0: Like it was like, now. yeah, it's like you're officially old, even down there. You know what <laughs> I mean? It was like, oh, fuck. So these are the things that they don't tell you about. And with 40 year old virgin, I love that Rada just talks about these things in this very, but it's not traumatic and it's not. You know, it's not sad. You know what I mean?
1: Like no, it's, it's she, not- she's she's self deprecating at times, but Very, she's definitely not. Yes, you know downtrodden. Like she's actually fighting against that. You know, with the whole yeah you know, anti poverty porn thing that she gets on with when it comes to the plays. Like she 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 lives a really good, interesting and full life. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, she has a moment. She has a bad day. She's in mourning, you know, in, in the film, and, you know, was inspired by the passing of her own mother. Mm-hmm. You know, her mother has passed, and, you know, she's trying to just get herself together. And everyone can relate to that. Anyone, you know, who's had a loss knows that you, you fall into a rut. Yeah. And yeah. you just look for other things to interject. Yeah. Um, you know, to to inspire you. Are you looking for a new muse? And so she said, I'm going to go back to the place where I felt like I was dope. She goes to her boy, Archie, and says, you remember how in high school I used to just rap? And who of us doesn't do that? Mm -hmm. You know, you look for the place of comfort. You look for that. You try to remember that time. Someone said this, interestingly, about another movie where the artist, where the character had just come out of jail and the clothes that he was wearing were from a period where he felt most comfortable, you know? And Mm -hmm. all of us do that. I still have certain sneakers that I'll never give up because they just I I know how they they look on me. They bring me back to a certain time Mm -hmm. and I'm going to stick with that. I'm not going to put on a newness just because it's new. Right. And Rada does the same thing. You know, she's like, I can rap. You know, but I don't want to do the stuff that my kids are listening to. They're all listening to this sound called Pound the Pound Cake. Oh, God. And she's like, what is this nonsense? You know? So she <laughs> goes to her roots. And what's dope is Rada, when she was um coming up with the, the suggesting the music for the mixtape, she wanted it to be authentic. So she said, I want the producer to, I want the beats to sound like beats that you would give to Sean Price, the rapper from Health to Skeleton. Mm-hmm years ago Mm. so she wanted that authentic brownsville brooklyn sound so guy went to the beat miners um from who did a lot of the beats for black moon and smith and wesson and the Bootcamp click from the 90s Mm. and they the beats you hear from them and crisis a producer um who does a lot of stuff with ninth wonder and little brother but he definitely, he he did, he did beats for Sean Price as well. So right. that's why when you listen to the, when you watch the movie, you hear the beats, you're like, oh, these are actually good. These aren't throwaway filler beats that mm-hmm. they just came up with. You know, some movies when they decide they want to do hip hop beats, it's some, you know, garage band, recycled, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, cookie cutter stuff. But they went and got real producers um, and real MCs for, for this movie. And you know, Oswin, interesting enough, is a dope rapper. The the, art director, the actor that plays D's producer, D, mm-hmm. is a really dope rapper um, in his own right. So, but it's so funny. He, his character doesn't speak much, so you would never know how good an MC he is.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, the movie is, is so specific. And, I mean, we've had movies about hip-hop um, and I, you know, I'm not trying to shade it, but you and I, we, we, we saw this movie years ago and we've
1: gonna had, of
0: course I'm going to say, brown sugar. Sure? Say
1: brown sugar. <laughs> um,
0: and I know people are like you can't compare. Yes, the fuck I can. Um, <laughs> and you know, the thing is Brown Sugar was cute for what it was, but it never really felt like, like, it just felt like it was a love story that they just sprinkled with hip hop. Like they were like, yes. Okay, we don't want another Love Jones. We've got two black people in love. What's the hook? You know what I mean. And so, notice that the supporting characters for both Sana and Tay Diggs' characters were both real life rappers, right? Her best friend, uh, Sana's best friend was Queen Latifah. T- uh, Tay mm. Diggs' best friend was um, uh, most deaf. Was yes, most deaf, deaf, right? Yep. And it was just, and I mean, I said this when I saw Brown Sugar. I was like, y'all should have given the lead to Queen Latifah and Most Deaf. Yeah. always feeling that way. So I kind of feel like 40-year-old version is sort of like...
1: They took that advice and said, let's make this movie.
0: Yes. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a cor- it's a course correction. It was basically a course correction. And, <laughs> you know, because I, I know how the Hollywood execs were probably thinking. They were looking at... Queen Latifah, and they were looking at most deaf and they were like, you know what? They don't, you know, the two of them, they don't fit the cookie cutter ideas of what right. a leading lady and a leading man should look like in a movie, particularly a black love story. And that was something that I I, I right. was having a conversation with this a few months ago in, in like, um, you know, I'm always happy to see black love, um, but mm-hmm. I just don't want to see straight love. and i don't always have to see cisgendered love i i want to see all types of love i want to see queer love i want to see love with like age gaps with the older and the younger i want to see different body types and and more specifically when it comes to the black female leads in uh romantic movies i'm tired of these women looking like you gotta pay you gotta pass a paper bag test like i'm so tired of that like You know, but I feel that with 40 year old version there. And I think particularly because Rada was, you know, um, was basically spearheading this project. Right. Mm Because I'm sure if if it was up to the studios, they'd be like, oh, go get, you know, I don't know, Zendaya or whatever. Anyone from the the 220 Fenty family. Um, (laughs) I I have I have love for Zendaya, but I'm just saying, Um, you know what I mean? So it's just sort of like. But this this goes back to to me saying that I saw I felt seen by Rada right because she to me she's she's very attractive she's a beautiful woman but it's like when I looked at Rada it's like I felt like I was looking at myself I saw my aunts I saw I saw my friends I saw my mom there's like she has the cheekbones it reminds me dead of my mom it was just like oh my god um and so you know and she's not skinny right because one of the running jokes in the movie is that she's drinking this 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 shake. Right? Because she says,
1: yeah, the, the diet drink, the, the diet soda. Yeah.
0: Soda so drink. throughout the movie, you just see her with the straw and this this cup in her hand. Cause she's talking about she wanna lose 40 by 40. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it was something that she said when she was like, You know what? Um, after once you hit 40, it's not as easy to lose weight anymore. And I was At like, all. That is the day because I remember when I used to go to the gym. This was when I, I was in my twenties. I could literally go to the gym three times a week still like
1: two weeks yeah and and, like 20 and, pounds.
0: yeah and still eat mcdonald's here and there and i could just lose boom five pounds in one week i could hit the, i could hit the tr- the treadmill three days a week uh, whatever do whatever and now oh my god it's like i remember i
1: was there in new york Sports club with you some morning yeah so <laughs> we were like, struggling
0: now today it's like uh it's five days a week got to watch what I eat and, and what do I gain? What do I lose a pound, maybe half right. a pound. And I'm like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. But right. these are the things, but uh, you know, that's the thing that I loved about Rada is that she really talks about these, but she doesn't see them as her, them holding her back It's just like, it just is what it is. Right. Like right. there's a part in the movie where she's rapping about being 40 and she says, <laughs> uh. I'm tired of my, I'm tired of my knees cashing checks that my, uh, (laughs) of writing checks that my back can't cash.
1: Can't cash. (laughs) Girl. Yeah. Yeah. She spits truth. I love her, you know, because she reminds me of my college girlfriend. That's what's so funny. Yeah. My girlfriend in college was, 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 you know, kind of like, like Rada, Mm -hmm. similar build. She had, water head. I mean, it was the 90s, you know, so all the women were wearing head wraps. So. Right. That's another reason why I felt so. Um. Such an affinity for not just the character, but for her. Mm. But you know those lines that she's spitting are not throwaways. She's really saying some real stuff, mm-hmm. and people need to pay attention. Don't just think, oh, because she's doing it, she's not like a mm-hmm. quote unquote air quote professional MC That it's not real. But to, also to your point, um, she t- she said that the that the character D is like he's kind of an amalgamation of all the men who she didn't think she was worthy of because Mm. she 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 didn't think that they were really serious Mm. about her interest in her because of her size and she 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 kind of been internalizing that and how she kind of rejected guys before but now this time she got to actually embrace the fact that he was interested in her you know yeah i thought that was interesting
0: because i think that was one of the things that that i also loved about the movie is that she's also a very sexual person. Like this is someone she's very into like the opening scene is her listening to her neighbors have sex. (laughs) (laughs) She's got her face pressed up against the wall and everything. (laughs) But what, what I, what I especially liked about the movie is that it starts there. And then throughout the movie, you see like these younger men, like Mm
1: -hmm. flirting
0: with her, like Chasing flirting. her. and just
1: throwing it at her. I didn't even f- flirting. There's nothing subtle about it.
0: <laughs> I mean, and these guys are cute. And these are younger guys. And I could definitely relate to that because, you know, you know my 20s and my 30s, I mean, I, it's not like I was hurting for, like, I, I had, you know, some serious relationships. I dated and everything. But I never really felt comfortable. Like, it, it really, I didn't really feel like I started hitting my stride until I was in my 40s. The 20s was just it was just like scratch paper (laughs) 30s was sort of like, okay, we're, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to have like a shape here. Let's, let's do some sketching. Right. Right. And then the forties was like, okay, now it's time to get serious. Like once I hit 40, it was, you know, like I had been going through some things in my thirties. And then once I hit 40, it was like, okay, but what is this really about? Like you've, I don't want to say I, I wasted time. I feel like I gained valuable insight and, and, as women, we have to forgive ourselves when we make mistakes, whether it's professionally or personally, or you know, in our love relationships. There's a lesson in everything, right? Um, and more importantly is to remember those lessons when you walk into your next relationship. Um, right. but yeah, like once I hit 40, it was just like, okay, but I mean, seriously, it's it's time to get serious, Rebecca. Like <laughs> and it wasn't even so much like, oh, I need to I wanted to get married or be in like a committed relationship. But it was it was really more about committing to myself. That's what it was. Because I felt like with my twenties and thirties, I was committing to other people and trying right. to live up to their expectations. And then it was like, no, fuck that. You know, and this is why when people say that people, you know, women in their 40s are scary as fuck. You can't fuck with them because once you know who you are and you don't give a fuck what people Mm -hmm. think, you're like, oh, you don't. Okay, you know, and I think for us, particularly as women, you know, if you're into, you know, dating men or whatever, um, what we think, what are men's opinions of us? Can trap us, right? Whether it's our look, our sexuality, or how we, you know, choose to move, we're always afraid. We want to be chosen. In a way, we're we're in pick me mode. That's that's where we're at. And then once you hit forty, you're just like, no, well, I pick me. How about that? (laughs) And then yeah, and then it's all about what makes you happy. And you know, because I mean, I've been. I think it's gonna this year. will make it ten years since I you know, got into entertainment journalism. And I think I wrote my first review, my first film review when I was like 39, 40. Right. Right. And so, well, actually a couple of years before I started, I started it with music. Funny enough, here we go. So I actually started off with music. I started off writing for all hip hop. And Mm -hmm. then I wrote my first music. I wrote my first music review for the source. I think it was J live. Um, and then I wrote that and then that's when you tricked me into writing into (laughs) a (laughs) film.
1: Why do you say it like that? (laughs) No,
0: no, I, I joke. No, it was, I think the first piece that I ever wrote was when, um, I did the Oscars, the Oscar predictions.
1: Oh, yeah. You were definitely the one for that, because I knew I was not the awards guy. And I'm like, who could write this? Yeah. Oh,
0: you,
1: you were always talking about it.
0: Exactly. So it
1: just made sense for you to write about it. And yeah. as I As I said then and I'll say now, mm. it's easier for me to teach someone who's passionate the mechanics, mm. as opposed to taking someone who's maybe more um sound mechanically who might be a more experienced writer but doesn't really care about the subject matter oh absolutely. you had really a really passionate feelings about what movies were nominated and weren't and why they shouldn't have been and i'm like okay why aren't you writing about film and there was no real answer for why you weren't so i said here yeah and here's some money <laughs> Go.
0: No right, no. I mean, I think part of that is um, that imposter syndrome, where you just don't feel. I mean, a a big part of it is the fact that I didn't see at the at the time when I started, I didn't know any other Black women film critics. All I saw were all I saw were white men. It was Leonard Martin, Mm. Malton, Siskel, and Ebert, or whichever local you know news station. You know, the review for the week. It was some white dude. So it really wasn't until I, you know. until i started twitter when i joined twitter and that's when i saw other black women cinephiles either writing about movies or actually making movies um but that's all to say that it's like all of that coincided around the time that i turned 40 and i don't know that i would have done that if i was in my 30s i would have been too scared Mm i'd have been like i'm not ready i don't know enough i didn't go to film school it would i would just make all these but at this time turning 40 it was like well what have I got to lose I mean if I suck I suck I think you become more fear- you become more fearless right yeah. where it's like you're not as afraid to fail and then it's like all right that's fine and and I think with with 40 year old virgin she, you know Rada is just so scared she's so afraid of failing and and just the fact that she's kind of lost belief in herself. I mean, clearly we can see that she's talented, but it doesn't mean anything if she doesn't believe it. Right. And I think, you know, that, that kind of goes into the relationship uh, that she has with D who's her love interest. He is her producer. um, And they, you know, start a relationship and the relationship between D and Rada, I really, really loved it. Number one, um, you know the older woman younger man it wasn't played for jokes it, it really i think no. it, it was mentioned in passing like we know he's younger than her but His
1: brothers, you know had comments here and there but he didn't care
0: he didn't give, you know? he did not care at all and um you know i was having a conversation um with a couple of other women film critics on on twitter earlier and they were raving about the relationship too because you know number one you know, to have a love interest who looks like Rada. Then she's got a younger male love, a, a younger um, love interest, right? And the thing with D is that he has an old soul, which is what I loved about him. He's somebody. He's very smart. Um, and the thing with their relationship that I appreciated was the fact that um, D is what I call an active listener. Like when you when we talk about relationships. Um, when they're portrayed on TV or film or whatever, usually the point of it is seeing the man pursue the woman, right? Whether he's romancing her, spending money on her, you know, these grand gestures. Everything about rom- ro- romantic comedies or romantic dramas is about the grand gesture, which is really bullshit. But
1: Flooding her office with the flowers.
0: Right, you know, it's like, yeah. and then the end, they get happy, happily ever after. And it's like, nah, that's not how real life works. Um, right. You know, a grand gesture is here is good here and there but the grand gesture is only as good as the other 364 days of normalcy right like right. you know what i mean if you're a shitty partner 364 days and you give me a great valentine i don't give a fuck about that like i don't care you know what i mean it's what did you do for me like november 9th or february, <laughs> or, february or february i don't know 22nd you know what i mean like just. Right. and the thing with d is that He's somebody who's, he's, he doesn't say a lot. Um, As I said, he's the master of minimalism.
1: (laughs) He really is.
0: He doesn't say a lot, but you know, usually there's like the strong and silent type, but D is not that he's not that at all. Um, He's just somebody he's, he's an observer. He's an observer Mm. of people. He's an observer of behaviors. And even from the first interaction with, um, with, with Radha, we know that he listens um, and throughout the movie, we'll see, you'll see that Radha makes this assumption. She was like, oh, you're not listening to me, or you didn't catch this. And he's like, no, I, I saw it, <laughs> or I heard it, you know what I mean? Right, right. And, you know, the thing with him is that being an active listener um, in relationships is about not only hearing what your partner is saying, but putting that into action. And throughout the movie, we see how D supports Radha like definitely, she's definitely. she has like these moments of insecurity and you know self-sabotage but he's like no i know you're good you know but and but more importantly he's not doing it in a way that's like mansplaining he's not trying to be like captain save a like he's not trying to do any of that he's not right. he's just sort of like i hear you i support you And let me, you know, but let me help you in a way where I'm not telling you what to do. Let me let me show you. Um, So there's several scenes in the movie where you see that, where he is just really he just really believes in her talent. Um, and just doesn't let her off the hook because <laughs> she'd be coming with some bullshit. Um, right. Yeah. I wanted
1: to know what you thought of that because mm-hmm. I've watched the movie now about four times. And the first time I watched it, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is sweet. He's, be, he's being persistent. Mm-hmm. But then by the third time, I'm wondering, like, how, would there be some people who would feel like, okay, well, he just showed up at her rehearsal and was getting into an argument with the security guard, and was like, "Yo, when we gonna go finish this mixtape?" And she's like, "I'm in a rehearsal. I'm doing it." And he's like, "Yo, but what about these this music? Mm. Like, at what point did he did he ever go from being supportive to being pushy in your mind?"
0: Um, I mean, yes, you. I mean, some people could say that it was pushy. I mean, it's, hmm, it's it's a tricky one. Um, but I think mm-hmm. that's real life. I think sometimes when you care about somebody or you're invested in somebody like you can just see the bullshit for what it is. And it was like, it was a bullshit play. Like that play that she was producing. (laughs) It was bullshit. Like he said, I was like, I heard it from the hallway. That ain't your play. You know what I mean? Like what he was trying to do is he was trying to to help her get to her authentic self. That play was not her. You know what I mean? That was, that was about white gaziness and white consumption of black trauma. Right. And that's where she did that whole because he what he was doing is that he was just trying to hold her accountable to that first rap that she did about poverty part. And he was like, oh, but this is what you doing. Didn't you just rap that you didn't want to do that, that you didn't want to, you know, that you you wanted to just portray regular black people because the play that she's trying to produce is Harlem, Harlem right, which is just about, you know, this black couple trying to keep their grocery store alive and then here come these white producers talking about oh you gotta you gotta you gotta you know personify the gentrification by actually casting a white person in there just laziness you know what i mean and i think d was just sort of like all right (laughs) you clearly are on some shit right now you know what i mean and so i'm gonna try to take you out of that environment and try to help you find yourself, but not really, not really him saying anything. I mean, I'm sure people could, you know, um, interpret that scene, but I kind of feel like, um, sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need an intervention. I looked at it as an intervention. That's what I saw because, you know, she could have just told him, okay, you, you can leave, or she could have told the security guard, please escort him out of here. She was clearly in no danger. There was no danger. I don't no, think no, he no. was, you know what I mean? I'm sure there are some people who could be like, whatever. But again, I mean, we do see movies, right? Where like, for instance, say, any, say anything, right? John Cusack shows up on the, on her lawn with a mm. freaking boom box. Right? Right, right. So we see these, we see this kind of thing, but usually it's because they're trying to <laughs> woo the woman. You know what right. I mean? It's like, I'm trying to get in your pants. I'm trying to, you know, get you to reciprocate these feelings. But for him, it was really like, I'm trying to hold you accountable to your artistic integrity.
1: Right. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely different. He, was, he definitely wasn't pursuing her to have sex. Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? He was pursuing her. For artistic reasons, and because he saw something in her, yes, and saw that she was running away from it, exactly. Even, you know, even after she had the bad night, he was like, "Listen, you had a bad night. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can do this. You can." He heard. You know, he's been sitting there. He's a producer who's sitting listening to people rap all day long. Right. Something about her stood out, and I know how that feels. That's how I felt. You know, when 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 I was getting on you to write, I was like, I sat. There. I, I watch people. I read articles all day long. Mm. So you get an ear and an eye for when something someone stands out when you hear their passion. Right. So I in that way I related to D a lot, and that like you don't want to let people who you know have something waste it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I understand like there's this and this is part of like my issue with social media sometimes is that it becomes like this very policed and politically correct uh, way of interacting with people. That's just very antiseptic and doesn't really Mm. speak to the real human experience. Um, Human beings are messy. Um, and I'm not talking about sexual assault or, you know, stalking people. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that um, when we see when we see our friends or people that we care about drowning, so to speak, uh, or uh, just kind of falling by the wayside, sometimes you do have to step in. Sometimes being a friend is saying the things that I don't want to hear. Right? Uh, because this... <sighs> I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be careful with my words here. I do feel that sometimes we want to be coddled. We we mm. become a, a society where we don't want to hear anything negative about ourselves. And I'm at I'm saying, all, over. yeah. Um, you know, I'm reading this book right now that's called uh, "Conflict Is Not Abuse" mm. by Sarah Shulman, and I would highly suggest anybody please read this book. Um, I'm about few pa- a few chapters in, but she really goes in on how. Electronic, whether it's email, texting, um, social media, what it's done is in a way it has hampered our communication skills. People are saying, "Oh, it's so great! These, these here's more ways for us to communicate." But what it does is, it, in a way, we're still hindered in certain yeah. ways, right? Like, how many times have you had a conversation with like? A partner. It was a text, right? And it was like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, fine. You know, you know how yeah, it goes. You
1: read so much into what isn't there. I, like, you're like, wait a minute, what do you mean by okay? Yeah. Or okay. K. You know, the one letter that I've, I've seen whole threads about how the letter K <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. just thro- makes people angry. I mean, me, too, depending on the person. If Absolutely. I don't know you, if you, you hit me with a K. I'm like, what? You even <laughs> have the, 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 You know, the respect to put two letters together to respond to me like I'm just some whatever. Like, come on, man. Right. Um, And it's it's become kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that Mm -hmm. the bad community, we have bad communication as humans. But then we have all these tools to communicate that make us even worse communicators. And it it repeats the cycle. Right. We have more. We now we have more ways to alienate alienate each other than ever. Right. I can block you on Twitter. I can block you on Instagram. I can block you on Facebook. I can unfriend you. Before we would just stop talking to each other. You just tell somebody lose my number, right? Yep. Now it's I'm gonna block you on my phone. You know, I got to unfollow you. Then I got to delete all of our messages. And it just becomes on on like every social media platform. Like now I got to block you on Snapchat, Facebook, Uh, Twitter, Instagram.
0: And that's not
1: real life.
0: And, And actually that is a perfect example because in the movie he tried texting her. Yep. He tried, you know what I'm saying? Like he tried calling her.
1: 300 times and I don't text.
0: Right. And you just acted like, oh, you know what I mean? And so again, I'm sure people may have their own opinions, but I feel like D was just like, I think a human connection, like actually seeing me is different. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, in the book that I'm reading, it is, it is true because even though you're texting or emailing or whatever, it is still one directional in nature, Mm. right? Because you have to wait for the person to send it, then you read it, and then you respond, right? So it's not the same as you and I talking in real time. Mm. It's not, I can't see your facial expressions, right? Right. I can't hear the inflection in your voice. I can't, you know what I mean? So this is what causes a lot of miscommunications. This is what causes a lot of passive aggressiveness, right? Mm. Because I always feel that when you communicate, speaking to someone face to face, is much different than when you are communicating electronically, right? Yes. And I think particularly in relationships, um, yeah, you know, because when you watch um, Radha and Dee's relationship, it really starts to flourish and grow once they have that face-to-face contact.
1: Yes. Right? I, I love the way mm-hmm. they commiserated over their mothers, for yep. example. Like, she didn't find out that you know he had lost his mother she just assumed his mother was still around he was like oh she ain't she's not here and she didn't even tell him right away you would think she would say oh well yeah I lost my mother too but she waited mm-hmm. you know for some reason i guess she just didn't want to open up just yet but when they finally do it's one of the most beautiful moments in the movie i'm not going to you know right. give it away but it was really touching the way they came together on that one topic and i think it went a long way to instilling her trust in him mm-hmm. because like you said he's an active listener so he, he was internalizing what she was saying. Um but then she she also had her moments when she put her walls up because he was like, why are you always wearing that thing on your head? She's like, what does D stand for? He <laughs>
0: was like,
1: true. So they both had their limits on what they were willing to <laughs> to
0: share. Right.
1: To share, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, mm. we're not there yet. Yeah, we're close, but you know, I, I gotta keep something to the chest yet. I'll, I'll share that with you later. You know.
0: Yeah, and and I think um I just I just love seeing the relationship flourish in real time. I mean I know some people are sensitive. They're like you can have relationships online too. I mean, understandably, we're in quarantine. Um, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, so there's a lot of people you know finding love you know on Tinder and whatever. And I you know however you find it, I don't care whether you know you meet at a play or you meet online swipe left, swipe right, whatever it is, you know, I think all of, any any relationship however you form it is valid, but I do feel that um there's definitely you you have to put that time into spending time with that person, right? I don't feel that <laughs> DMing people back and forth, that's just an <laughs> introduction, okay? Like that's not really going to get you What you want. And, you know, again, um, this whole, you know, being politically correct or whatever, um, you know, there's some truths that people don't want to hear. It's like, listen, um, you meet somebody online, you only know that much about them, even if you follow them for three or four years. Right. You still don't really know who they are
1: let me all. tell you i've i've had the the, the pleasure of meeting some folks i met from social media on offline mm-hmm. and nine times out of ten they're nothing like they are online <laughs> that's not that's not a slight to them at all they just the interaction is just different and then there are people who i knew more in person and i see them online i'm like but that's not the person that i know that's not the person that my interactions aren't like this and like if i only knew them from social media i'd be like who are you know i don't want to talk to that person but then i'm like but if anybody knew that they're like the sweetest person in the world, but I guess folks, you know, they don't want to show the whole world their vulnerabilities or whatever. So, yeah, but I've just learned to read the matrix code. I don't take anything that I read online as that person. Mm -hmm. You don't, you do not know someone just from following them on social media. I promise you, (laughs) (laughs) if you've never met them in person, you don't know. them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing about, you know, um, if you want a fulfilling relationship is that it's putting in the time and being willing to be um, vulnerable, like you said, and that's not, right. that's, that's not easy. Um, and I think in this movie, I think that's something that Radha is, is working through, you know, because she has a lot of walls, the, you know, the imposter syndrome just being disappointed in her career and then dealing with the death of a parent. Like mm. that's a lot To deal with, you know, and people make this assumption that because you get older, you know, when you lose your parent, that it may not hurt as much as say, let's say if you love. No, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. You could be 65 years old and you lose your mama. You still gonna cry that Mm -hmm. that's still gonna hurt. You know what I mean? It doesn't it doesn't matter. And so, yeah, so she's she's kind of working through all these things. But I just love that she just has this humor and the sarcasm. And the thing with Rada is that the the camera loves her. The expressions yes. on her face. <laughs> She's so
1: expressive. She She's so is. Expressive.
0: Because in some ways, she does kind of remind me of Issa on uh, mm. Insecure, right? Like where she has, like, because Issa has mirror, bitch, right? Because um, right. throughout 40-year-old version, we do see scenes of Rada you know rapping mm-hmm. to herself and just that like the mirror the self right so there's the, right. but the, but what i did realize is that there is a difference right um a lot of times um the things that Issa says to herself that mirror bitch says to her or even like the fantasies that she may have in her head they don't actually she doesn't actually do them right whereas rada does do them. And you know right, which scene right. I'm talking about. I was like, I was yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking when she did that, it was gonna cut to her just thinking it. No, she really did that. Like she's <laughs> about that life. I was like, damn, Rhoda. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. I, I think in Radha's case, her her rapping persona is not an alter ego, it's more of a a, a revelation or her kind of unleashing right. what's inside. Mm-hmm. And it's in its truth. Where, whereas Risa's, um mirror alter ego is is things she's trying to avoid, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, or doesn't want to confront. Yeah, but this is the the Rada is definitely trying to she she's projecting and putting out the things that are inside. So I think that's that's one of the differences between the two. And you know she's not running from that persona. That she's talking more to herself as an affirmation. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. whereas whereas. Issa, her her relationship with her her mirror bitch is confrontational.
0: (laughs) Rada (laughs) is mirror bitch.
1: Right. Rada is her own mirror bitch, you know? But then she had that one moment where she was just so, you know, back when you were talking about her mother, like, because her mother was an artist, right? So she was unpacking that as well. Not just the loss of a parent, but her mother came to New York to fulfill certain dreams. And she was avoiding you know unpacking her apartment because she knew what that meant as an artist she was like you come here and this is what happens you put your stuff in storage because she was projecting on herself right you know she was like okay my mom didn't achieve maybe the level of a uh, success that she wanted so am i just repeating this cycle you know um so that was one of the poignant moments for me when she was she was sitting there with the rib and she was like, mommy, help me. And it was just <laughs> everything about that was just so real to me because she was she had been, remember, she had been avoiding eating the ribs all night because she was watching her weight. Yeah. Her. But it was just her finally just giving in. And she's just sitting there and she's just like looking for help from somewhere. And, you know, this, the way she just held the rib in her hand and she was just like, mommy, uh, I felt that. I felt that. <laughs> She's great.
0: Yeah, it's um, and you know the thing is, even though it is, um, it's the the movie is is a meditation on the theater world, um, you know. But for me, being a film and TV person, I was like so much of what she was struggling against, or the the challenges she was facing as a black creative. Um, you could easily apply that to film and TV because. You know, she, one of the things she talks about is how, in a way, she has to, the art that she has for it to be p- palatable to a white audience, it has to have certain aspects of black trauma and black pain, right? Because that's right. it. And that's what she calls poverty porn. And I, I don't think that she's, I don't think it's about poverty shaming. I don't think that's what she's talking about. I think she's talking about the fact that as black artists, we're, we're put in this box, right? Where... When you're a black filmmaker, we're only allowed to make certain amount, certain um, types of films. Right. It's either the comedy, the slapstick comedy, the biopic, or it has to be a movie that has a message. It has to be it has to be about something. Right. And I'm not knocking any of these genres. Um, I think historical biopics are good. Um, when they're directed by Black people, um, <laughs> talking about you, Green Book. Um, and, you know I mean? like, I, I don't have a problem when you have a movie like Boys in the Hood or whatever, like, because those filmmakers come from there. Like, that's, right. they're, they're using the art to talk about where they're from. I think what Rada is talking about is a frustration in the fact that we are limited in the kind of stories that we're t- that we can tell, right? Because there's a scene where, her agent goes to go see this other play, right? That the that the producer that the white producer is putting on and it is literally just two white people on a on a on a stage <laughs> talking about veganism. Like talk about nothing, literally talk right. about bullshit. But yet that white playwright or whoever mm. wrote that, they just got a carte blanche. They were like, "Oh, you're right. just going to talk about you, the, the human condition and nobody dies, nobody." Oh, great. You know what I mean? Right. Like We
1: don't get that grace.
0: Yeah. Like, for me, I'm thinking about – let's talk about two of the, the, the best best black actors, right? We're talking about Denzel Washington and Angela Bassett, right? Right. Um, the only movie, to my knowledge, that they've done together is Malcolm X, right? He played Malcolm X and she played Betty right. Shabazz. Now, why couldn't I – now, if I was a black filmmaker, right – Let's say I had a story. Actually, this is something that I've been cooking in my head, but I'll give another one. I'll keep the one that I really want to myself. But just as an example, let's just say we want to make a movie with Denzel and Angela Bassett. And they are a family. uh, They've been married and then they decide, I don't know, maybe Angela decides she wants to be a lesbian or whatever. Or there's something, something that goes on. It's just a regular schmegler Black they
1: want to get drama. a taco truck. Yes. They want to get a food truck. Okay. You know how like that great movie that um Yeah. Um, the uh
0: chef. Huh? chef, right? Yes. I like, love that show. I why love that movie. Couldn't
1: we have a movie like that where mm-hmm. where it's not it's not we have adversity, sure. Yeah. but it's not steeped in, well, you know, black trauma, violence or mm-hmm. trauma mm-hmm. or oppression. Right. Of course, oppression for black folks in America is It's ever present, but Mm -hmm. that's we don't live our lives every day thinking about oppression, right? Or being oppressed. Mm -hmm. We can live in spaces where we're just existing amongst ourselves, Mm -hmm. and we need more films that are just like that about the human
0: experience,
1: right? Right, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. But, but see, if we went to the
0: studios and said, I have this movie with Denzel and Angela, and as they're just a married couple and they're just going through some stuff, maybe you know, whatever their son, blah blah, whatever, right. They're not going to green light that movie because they'll be like, well, what's what's the catch?
1: Right. Um, what's going to make white people want to see? Yeah.
0: This? Like, does their does their son get shot down by the cops? Is mm-hmm. they, You know what I mean? Like, there has to be some 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 shit in there and whatever. Meanwhile, you know, you could get two random white actors like fucking Meryl Streep. Sorry. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep, you could get Meryl mm. Streep and let's say Stanley Tucci, right? Okay, well they actually did a movie together. They did Julia, right. uh, Julia and Julia. But I'm just saying, like you could get two white actors and they could just be like, oh, they're a married couple and they decide to go on a vacation and whatever. Like that is literally the movie that Angelina Jolie made with Brad Pitt, okay? Mm. They, they got married and then for their honeymoon, I forget the name of the movie, it'll come to me, It was literally, Jerry, a movie about a married couple and something happens to them. It's something, I think she had like a miscarriage or something, but it was just, the studio was like, oh, it's Angelina and Brad. Sure. Here. Right. You get to. Was that
1: by by the sea?
0: By the sea. Right. Yeah. Just, Mm -hmm. just a white, just a white drama. That's all I'm going to call it. It was just, it was beautiful. (laughs) It was beautiful to look at. Beautiful. And you know, I, I love beautiful cinematography even if the movie may not be all that great if you give me beautiful cinematography that's eye porn for me so i don't have a problem with that right that all to say why couldn't black actors be able to do that very same movie why couldn't taraji and say i don't know name a black actor be able to do a movie like that we would not get the green light for that it would have to be like, okay, Taraji, you're going to Italy and you're a <laughs> cop and you're, you know, the two of you go touristing and you get beat up by these white Italian tourists. You, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, it, it would have to be- a Traffic. Yeah, <laughs> right? You know? And I think that is what Rada is talking about. It's really trying to push back against letting Black artists have the freedom to make whatever the f- they want. And it could be as mundane as- as, as a couple sending their kid away to college, right? Right. Because that's what the kids are. The kids are all right. That's what that was about, right? Right. It was a lesbian couple. Julie, it was, um, and, and, oh God, I'm, I'm forgetting the actors, but it was Julianne, Morris, uh, Julianne Morrison and someone else. I forget what her name is. And it was just, they were just like a, a, a happily married lesbian couple. And then the person who was their sperm donor for their two biological children enters the equation that's it and that's it, it and it just reveals the rifts in their marriage and the limitations of their marriage and just really showing that even lesbian marriages have the same challenges as hetero marriages right and it was I, I like that movie but again we don't get to at least the studios and I, I feel like black artists we have to give ourselves permission to make whatever the fuck we want we shouldn't wait for the gatekeepers all I'm saying is that the money that you would need from the studios they would not say that. And they would not let you do that. And I think that is what Rada is really trying to say is the fact that we shouldn't have to create these black narratives that feed a certain fetish that white audiences like. Like they like to see us suffer. They like broken black bodies. And it just, it makes me so uncomfortable sometimes when I see white critics reviewing movies like that or white critics talking about movies like that, because it's like, we're not even human. Like, even when they're right. watching the movie, like, even the way that they talk about these films, it's like, you know this is a person, right? <laughs> you know? But, but 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 what it becomes is it becomes a symbol. It becomes a thing. And it becomes an right. issue, not realizing that. And, and we kind of see um, an example of that is what happened with Breonna Taylor, right? Like, she became a hashtag, and then all of a sudden people were just profiting off that shit, right? I think last right. month they did some sort of expo, I mean, they said, I mean, they they claimed that they didn't charge any, but they did like some sort of panel called beauty, power and money or something. like. And I was just like, and it was like, what does
1: this have to do with Beyonce Taylor? Yeah. And it
0: was some Atlanta housewives. And I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me right now? Like, this was a young woman that was killed in her apartment because the cops bust in there like the narrative got lost and and you know what i mean is it like she just becomes a symbol and and that's what happens when we create when we make these types of movies about black trauma and 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 pain the white moviegoers that go to see it because that's who the studio wants to appeal to let's be real they don't really walk out of the studio they don't really walk out of those theaters really seeing our humanity i don't really no. believe that cuz i remember when fruitvale station came out right there was this discussion. Well, these type of movies, um, these are white critics now. Um, these type of movies are important, right? Because um, when, when white people see, that's how people will really understand, you know, police brutality and whatever. And then what happened? Fruitvale Station happened. And then who happened? Trayvon Martin happened. Then Freddie Gray mm-hmm. happened. It was like, you know what I mean? Like the list. And then now there's going to be a movie about Trayvon Martin. There's going to be a movie about um, Mike Brown. and You know what I mean? And then it's like it becomes commodified. It's, it's, it's like yeah. this consumption. I think you said that where you said it was like an amusement park, black, black, black. black
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they, they can only deal with black people from a point of reference where we're victimized. Mm-hmm. And anything outside of that doesn't compute. It's like syntax errors. Like black happiness? Like, wait, I thought because they need to... They can only help us or see our, you know, assist with injustice if they see us as perpetual victims Mm -hmm. because they use our happiness to justify our pain. And it's terrible that that's how limited their scope is. They're like they look at us and they say, oh, well, oh, you know, you're they look at the rich who might speak up and say, well, you have money. Why are you complaining? Or you're famous. Why are you complaining? So you the only way they'll listen to you is if you're broke, you know, on your deathbed and have no notoriety, but then you don't listen to those people. <laughs> you know, you don't listen to the poor, you don't listen to the homeless. So what? who Who are you going to listen to then? I mean, that, that tells me you don't want to listen to anyone critique this country or the the systemic inequalities because you complain when the, when the people who have step up and say, you know what, this isn't right. The first thing they say is, oh, you're rich. Why are you complaining? Mm-hmm. Or you're in a movie. Oh, you're really impoverished. Or you're an athlete. Or you're what, LeBron James. What does he have to be upset about? <laughs> you know? Okay. So, right. So it's He's like, okay. He's a black he man. Has, what are you talking he about? He has children. He has a wife. You know, they don't walk around with, you know, labels on their head. They say, I'm LeBron James' son. Right. The cops don't give a damn. Mm. You know? But then they don't want to listen to them. But then, okay, all right, fine. We, here's someone who, who who is working class, who wants to make... T- Fifteen dollars an hour, and you're shouting them down. So you just just be honest and say you don't want to hear from anybody.
0: That is that is true. And and I think the other thing too with Rada's movie is that I think she was <clears throat> she ain't mentioned no names. I think people who watch the movie will know who she's talking about. I think this movie is is sort of a call-in because it's within our own community this movie Mm. is kind of a call-in of black artists and creatives that give in and give that kind of shit that that Mm. that create that that go to these studios and networks and they're like oh okay I guess with like, it's basically like a laundry list. Cause in that rap, she was basically listing all the things
1: that needs, yes. that needs
0: to be in a black movie to get. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I've seen this. And I was like in that <laughs> movie in that movie. And so there has to be an honest conversation about black creatives. And, and let me be clear. Like, like I said, movies like Friday, like, if, if that's the community that you come from and that is in your heart where you want to talk about these things, right? Like, Moonlight right. is very specific in the fact that both Barry Jenkins and Terrell McCraney grew up in Florida. That whole thing, the whole community that we saw in Moonlight, that's where they grew up. Right. They shot there. You know what I mean? And and Barry tells this hilarious story um he did a speech at south by southwest where he was like you know when i went to shoot moonlight number one they didn't recognize him right a lot of people in mm-hmm. the neighborhood didn't recognize him and then the kids and even the adults were like you sound funny like you don't you don't talk to i mean you know because barry went away he mm-hmm. went to college or whatever so they didn't right, right. they didn't trust him at first because they were like mm, this this interloper that's going to try to tell our story in our community he doesn't know what he's talking they thought he was like some bougie black person. And then he came with the receipts and Terrell, they were like, no, we grew up here. This is the high school we went to. This is, and they were like, oh, okay. So a movie like Moonlight, that is from them. That is the actual, it's not like an anthropological study of like, oh, I'm this upper-class black person. I'm trying to see how the poor black people live. No, that's not what- Another
1: great example of that is blind spotting. You know, that was a love letter to Oakland. You know, even though it dealt with systemic issues and impression if you haven't seen blind spotting go get it go watch it Mm. i think it's on hulu right um, now right but you know david and um you know rafael were fantastic in that Mm -hmm. but it came like you said it came from their perspective and their experience so there wasn't this whole kind of outsider looking in tarzan type of deal going on
0: exactly exactly and so i think even with black creatives even being a black creative, even being a black person, not every, not all of us are qualified to tell specific black stories. True. You correct. know what I'm saying? Like, again, going back to Moonlight, Terrell McCraney wrote the play. Um, when it came to doing the movie, um, Barry was like, I can't write that because i think they wanted him he was like no you got to bring terrell back and let's 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 work on this right because Mm -hmm. you needed the because bear was like i'm a i'm a black straight man i don't i don't know what it's like to be black and queer i can have an empathy i can have an idea but terrell can fill in and bring in the colors that i can't you know what i mean um so i think rada is really talking about also our responsibilities as black artists like the the art that you want to bring into the world like why do you like why do you want to tell that specific story and are you qualified to tell that so, well you know white directors they don't like you to tell them shit you know cuz when it comes to white directors they're like i should be able to tell every story whatever and i if i want to do a black movie i can okay go with god but there are some stories that you can't tell like there are some things that you don't like for instance like the Whitney Houston biopic while it is going to be written by a black woman um it's uh the director of the photograph uh stella maggie she's writing Mm -hmm. no i'm sorry stella maggie is directing it but the Mm -hmm. screenplay for the whitney houston biopic they picked the guy from bohemian rhapsody some white ass dude from like i think he's australian or from new zealand i'm like what do you know about newark new jersey (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, then I'm asking myself, what kind of Whitney Houston movie are we going to get? Are we going to get nippy? Are we going to get Whitney? <laughs> because you got to tell you gotta tell both sides. You can't right. just give us a glamorized, but I think that's what's going on because this movie will actually have the rights to the Whitney Houston movie. I think her mov- her mother is involved. Clive Davis is a producer, so you already know where that's oh, going. Yeah. So we're just going to get like the montages and the fashion and everything. But it's like, Number one, are y'all going to talk about the fact that Whitney was queer? No, because to this day, her family still denies that shit, right? Mm-hmm. And also, what kind of authenticity are you as a white male screenwriter? Are, are you going to move to Newark, New Jersey? And actually, <laughs> like, I, like, I have questions, you know what I'm saying? And it's just sort of like, and then what happens is, I've talked to other, you know, black filmmakers and people in the business. And what happens is they bypass a lot of these qualified black screenwriters. Because when that news came out with Whitney Houston, I listed at least 10 black women screenwriters who could have easily Mm. written that script. And they Mm. like, for instance, Shannon Houston, who is a writer and producer on Lovecraft Country. She's the one who wrote episode seven. She would murder a Whitney Houston screenplay. Okay. Right. And murder it in all the right ways. You know what I'm saying? Right. And you know, we've got KO, you, you again, um, Nikiatu, like there's so many talented black women screenwriters, but they bypass us. And then it's like, no, it's only legitimate if a white person writes the black experience. And then you know what happens? He's gonna, And I'm going to, I'm going to predict what's going to happen. He's going to write this fucking screenplay. It's going to be white as hell. Unsalted no seasoning and what they're gonna do yes they're gonna hire a script doctor because hollywood does this so what they're gonna do is they're gonna outsource and then they're gonna hire a black woman or either a black male screenwriter to fix it and be like can you just add some seasoning to this and you know whatever and would whitney wear a hair scarf at this scene what would that look like and you know whatever and it's like well why don't you just go to the fucking source why didn't you just fucking hire a black woman screenwriter you know what I mean so yeah but this all goes to you know 40 year old version is this idea of the legitimacy of black art and how white gatekeepers are forever fucking telling us what is legitimate what is worthy to be greenlit what isn't and and it's only a certain type or certain types of black narratives that they are interested in and and that's Sorry to ramble, but it's it's just so frustrating when I think about this. I was like, a white man is going to write a Whitney Houston movie. I can't. I just can't.
1: Yeah. (laughs) she she takes. What I love is that she takes the shots at the theater, but it definitely translates to Hollywood, too, when he asked her Mm -hmm. about doing a Harriet Tubman musical. He's like, of course, studios are like, oh, well, Hamilton popped. We should definitely do something that's a copycat of that, and that's just the way the machine works. I I, I
0: made a list of the... The projects that this white producer had done. He did an all-female 12 Angry Men. Right. Um, he did a he was planning to do a multiracial fences. This is an August Wilson play, a black <laughs> right. and black play. And you're gonna make right. it multiracial. Then he was right. the t- the Harriet Tubman musical. Then wasn't right. he trying to do a ch- a, ch- a Shirley Chil- Chisholm?
1: Yeah, it evolved. Harriet Tubman became Shirley Chisholm. Ch- and then
0: right. he and then he did an all-male steel magnolias. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I trying not to. Laugh. But you see how brilliant you see how brilliant Rada is, right? Because yeah. this also talks about the fake forced diversity that's right. in in Hollywood now. Instead of finding um and it applies to plays too, instead of finding new creative um new and original ideas and IPs from black creatives, Hollywood's new thing is just race bending. Uh, you know, like, let's do an all-female this. Let's do a XYZ Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I'm just like, mm, I don't know. Would I watch an all-male Miss Steel Magnolias? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would
1: not. really watch the original Steel Magnolias. I don't <laughs> want to watch it <laughs> and then,
0: I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm still trying to recover from a multiracial sense. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, gonna be- his
1: name was Whitman. She didn't even try to disguise it. Oh, right? Was- <laughs> Josh Whitman. Oh, the actor,
0: the actor they 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 picked to play the white producer. Oh my god. We we oh, know Reed,
1: we know Reed Bernie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Reed Bernie. <laughs> I just I don't know. Um it's 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 just a really clever movie um it's it's really smart and it's really insightful and you can tell that rada knows what the hell she's talking about because you could only be in the industry to talk about something like that um and i don't know i mean you know i i have my little dreams and aspiration that i want to you know be a screenwriter or whatever but you know it's like between this movie and just conversations i have online with other black people that are in the business i'm like it's so fucking dirty Mm. like you have to sell out and you have to compromise and it's like, what can I live with where I can look at myself in the morning, but also pay this
1: rent? Well, that's what makes this movie that much more important is that she talks about her her struggle to not sell out and that the, a movie like this was actually made and produced. You know, shout out to, to Lena Waithe for Yay. opening up her pocketbooks mm-hmm. um, at Hillman Grad to finance the film. Um, because, you know, we, we don't know if we'll get more like this. We always, every five years we say this, we get that one movie where we feel like, okay, finally we're going to get some real human Black movies, mm-hmm. and then crickets. <laughs> so, you know, unless it's indie, you know, it's indie or direct-to-video, you know, shout out to Netflix and Hulu, you know, but as far as, you know, even though theatrical releases are a moot point now, we, we struggle to get movies that have us just as human beings, like, the photograph shouldn't have been as big a deal as it was in the sense that it had been so long since we'd had a black romance yeah. on screen on a, on a, in a, on a th- major theatrical release. It had been, when was the last time before it? You know, we were, it was like a decade, it felt like. so, And it put so much pressure on that one movie to be everything to everybody. When we should be getting these movies coming out constantly,
0: right? You know, right. And and that's you know that goes into the conversation about black film and TV criticism, right? It's like, um, for me, I was just like, I'm of the opinion that more content is good, um, and you know, the thing is, we need to have the content in order for us to critique it, right? If you're only looking for boutique high quality all the time. That's not really how Hollywood works, right? Because if we look at how mainstream movies work, right? We've got really, really shitty movies, then mediocre movies, then, oh, this was a fun watch, right? This was like right, $15. Right. And then you go all the way to the apex, which is sort of like art house, right? Academy yeah. Award worthy, right? So in order to do that, because that's the other thing people need to realize that with these studios, you got to have those big, big, loud obnoxious um you know blockbusters right that 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 bring in the billion dollar box office in order to finance those family dramas or those intimate you know what i'm saying so that whole spectrum that mainstream film has i feel that black film needs to have that too and that's not to say that we should give black films or tv shows a pass Right. Uh, if you're a critic, you should tell the truth. If you don't like it, that's fine. And if you don't, my only issue is um, uh, I follow Cinemat. Her name is, is The Truths on Twitter. And it was something that she said that really shifted the way that I thought about film and TV criticism, particularly with, with black content, is she was like, we got to stop this virtue signaling, right? Mm. Like we have Sometimes we have these holier than thou, and they know who the fuck they are. Holier than that, I call them Super Saiyan Woke Black Twitter. (laughs) Right? Because they will just come with a hot take and it'll be like, girl, send it back. Um, And it's sort of like... And it's not enough for them to just critique the show. Then they critique the people who enjoy the show. Right? Right. Oh, if you like XYZ show, then that means blah, 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 blah. Right? You don't know these people. What are you talking about? Like, listen, I used to watch... Well, up until recently... I could sit there and I could watch on a typical Sunday, I could watch Real Housewives of Atlanta and then I'd flip the channel and watch the good the good wife. You right. know what I mean? Or I'd watch Insecure. Like and this was what the Trudes um was saying is that for black viewers, our consumption is everything. We watch everything. It's never yeah. it if you say that you love, I'm just gonna use an example. If you like, I don't know, Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. Right?
1: It does which I do.
0: Which you do, okay if you don't like Lovecraft Country, that's fine. The same way I can't make a judgment on you because you don't like it, you can't make a judgment on somebody because they do like Lovecraft Country because then it's a question of their intelligence and then it becomes Mm -hmm. a question of their taste. And it's like, please take a nap. Like, please, go (laughs) find something, go move around. Like, really, go find some toys, if you know what I'm saying, and just shut the fuck up. Like, I just don't understand it. It's like, people like all sorts of things. And I think that is actually, actually, that makes you a better critic. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, after I get off the, I'm about to go watch the boys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, is it what? Yeah, what's oh, Friday? Yeah, yeah. What, yeah they, us, in- they,
0: usually drop it. At least for me, on Amazon Prime, I usually get it the day before. It, by Thursday, oh, night, I can on watch Thursday. Them. Yeah, me, yeah. I can watch Ooh, Thursday. Uh-oh. So there's, there's Ooh. a breadth. I feel like the reason why I can talk about film, it because I watched everything ever since I was a little girl. My mom would watch. Mission Impossible, then we watched Star Trek, and we watched The Honeymooners, and then we watched Man From Uncle. Like there was like this whole diet of things that we were watching where my parents weren't really like, my mother wasn't like, "Uh, you can't like this show because it's not smart. It was like, oh, this is entertaining? Okay, great. You know what I mean? So you have to be able to watch all types of content in order for you to have an opinion on something. But again, the virtue signaling where you're judging people Just say you don't like the show. Write your review and keep it moving. (laughs) And just shut the fuck up. Like, I really don't. Like, I can't. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, there are people that like Green Book. There are people Mm -hmm. that I did not like the movie. There are black people who like Green Book. That's fine.
1: The only thing I might criticize you on is your reasons for or against something okay you're not liking something's fine but why Mm -hmm. and if you have a well thought out argument for why you like it or don't like it i'm like okay cool but then you have people like you said who just don't like it because of who's involved or because of what they presume or project the politics of it to be Mm -hmm. and then decide they don't like the movie Mm -hmm. and then that's when they start going after the people who like it because they're then projecting onto them like well you must be this if you like this i'm like no this isn't the presidency you know <laughs> i judge you on whether or not you like trump absolutely if you if you vote <laughs> for that man that tells me something that's about fair you, absolutely un, with without question i don't yeah. want to hear another word i'm like i i have i, I have you I have you pegged mm. i am definitely stereotyping you but i'm not about to stereotype you you know if you like a dislike like or dislike a certain movie unless i see a pattern and i will just say this that i see mm-hmm. a lot of critics online and it seems like a lot of them don't like black shit <laughs> so oh, like oh. they make their living you know critiquing black shit but don't seem to like black shit so i'm like do you like any black shit have, it seems you, like you you have to go there, Jerry. Like- okay that's fine I'm just saying, for me, <laughs> just observing the Twitterverse, it just seems like some people are making their living not liking black shit. Mm, that's
0: a, that's <laughs> so, a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's a whole, but I I totally understand.
1: I'm, I'm definitely keeping an eye out to see who has what to say about forty year old version.
0: Yeah, I mean, because
1: I can almost already predict who, based on what I've seen mm-hmm. in the patterns, mm-hmm. are gonna have. Who's gonna have p- positive things to say and who's gonna have negative things to say
0: about it? Right. And I, I think it, it, at a certain point, you just have to have like, I don't like, you have to have 360 vision, but you also have to have tunnel vision. Tunnel vision in the fact that if you have an opinion on something and that's how you really feel if you're writing a critique or a review of something, um, as long as you can back it up, right? Even if it is, like I say, criticism is an informed opinion. Right. Exactly. So if you say this is why I like it and this is why these are the scenes, this is the narrative, this is the, then that's fine. Whether I agree with it or not. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, yeah, you can't really know somebody by what they watch. Because here's the thing. And again, people don't want to hear this. Human beings like problematic shit. Yes, <laughs> we do. I'm sorry. Super stable um, Twitter. That's just the way it is. There's some shit that I like. That's problematic. I
1: spend most of my nights watching Rick and Morty. <laughs> if we're being honest, because I, I and late at night I don't like to watch new things right. because I might fall asleep, and I just like to have background. Mm. I've watched every season of Rick and Morty probably 20 times because it's smart and it's goofy and silly. Yeah, and they might have they have some. Low, racism jokes and digs here and there but overall it really has nothing to do with race and i'm fine with that right but i'm also loving the 4 year old version so yeah
0: yeah i mean because the thing is you know you can like there's a lot of shows there's shows that i'm revisiting now let's say 20 years later right for instance i'm watching girlfriends right girlfriends Mm -hmm. was my was my shit okay and because on UPN, it used to come out on Monday nights. And when it moves to the CW, it moved to Sunday nights. So mm. revisiting Girlfriends has been very interesting to me. Uh, same with Sex and the City, because I did a rewatch of Sex and the City. And I appreciate both shows. And I will say this, that I believe both of them both of them deserve to be in the canon of female driven shows um, but you know one of course has more legitimacy than the other and you know why um, that that being said, it's like I see problematic shit in sex in the city I was watching it and I was like oh wow, you know what I mean? and that's <laughs> years of experience reading, being on social media you know and 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 befriending people from other, marginalized communities like oh okay that was a trans joke that was offensive or you know the episode where um carrie was um dating this bisexual man and then befriending bisexual men and be like okay that was problematic so you can watch problematic shit and still be aware that it's problematic you know what I'm saying like that's I, I I think you can you can you can do both right but what happens is that there's this narrowness where it's just like this needle of the eyes like it has to be a hundred percent problematic free and i'm like that's not art
1: right (laughs) if if that's life is not unproblematic
0: because you know what that is that's a fucking after school special that's what the fuck that is
1: and i've watched some shows of late where it feels like they're writing from from black twitter or just writing to either they're just recycling things they've read on Twitter. You know I'm I'm serious. I I would definitely Maybe <laughs> to... I upset too much. No just no no no.
0: I I I did want to touch on that because that is true. Uh watching 40 year version I was thinking about that too. These are conversations that I've been having with uh black content creators, screenwriters and directors is this yeah, it's this thing where it's sort of like it has to be black Twitter approved. And I was like I don't think this is, I don't think that's a good thing because black mm. Twitter is so fucking vast. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, but then again, it's, it's about approved, being approved to black woke Twitter. Right. And people could be mad at me.
1: And they don't like nothing. So who, why are you catering to them? I mean, you cater to woke Twitter. They ain't going to come to your movie. They ain't going to buy your album. They're going
0: to. Yeah. I think for art, you have to, you have to write for yourself. <laughs> I think you have to, you know, when you sit down, you're like, okay, as long as I'm, I I try not to, you know, you're not going to try to offend anybody, you're not going to do any trans jokes, or, you know, racist jokes, or, you know, ableist jokes with disabled people. I feel like those are the things that you're okay, let me not offend these, you know, communities um, that have always been marginalized, let me not further marginalize them. But at the same right. time, you've got to Walk this tightrope where you have to show that even as human beings, the characters in your movie or your TV show they have to be problematic. If they're not problematic, again, it, it, then
1: there's no conflict. Yeah,
0: it's this, it's this, this sanitized vision of blackness that I just don't. I'm like, this is not how people live. This is not how people talk. And it goes to what you're saying about how we're watching black content now, where it feels like the screenwriters just scroll through twitter and they're just right. using like specific words like patriarchy and <laughs> um i don't know you know like these buzzwords and it's like oh yeah you know and i'm like listen when we're talking if, if you're having like talks academic academic talk right Or what they talk, white ivory tower talk. Like, there are certain terms, absolutely, if you're doing an article or whatever and you're trying to dissect something, that's fine. But if you're actually just having a regular schmegler character talk like that, it doesn't sound realistic. Like, that's not what I'm talking to my sisters about. You know what I mean? Like, that's not, you know what I mean? Like, these things affect us, but the way that we talk about and the way we engage with each other when we talk about these issues, we don't actually use that language. And if you do, you should probably check to see if this person has a, battery in their back
1: like it's no not- one uses hedge money in in actual speech
0: <laughs> listen i'm not i heard that there were there were some screenplays that actually <laughs> i'm like come on man like that's not people don't
1: talk oh, man. like
0: that people don't talk no. like that and and good like remember we were just watching um a really cool series uh last week we binge watched it it's called easy Yes. Um, and it's uh, three seasons on on Netflix. Right. And it's basically following um, it's basically like an anthology series. Right. And each season follows a group of uh, people in Chicago. Right. And just like the various nature of their relationships. There's a married couple. There's a lesbian couple that, you know, open marriage, whatever. But one of the things that I loved about it was just the language. And the dialogue, it felt so natural. Um, and from what I read, the um, I'm trying to remember who the director or the creator of the show was. Um, he does a lot of improvisation, improvisation with his actors. So sometimes those scenes, it's really them just speaking from the character's point of view. You know okay. what I'm saying? And so it's like, okay, this is your character. You know who it is. Here's the scene. You guys are talking to each other. What would you say? You know what I mean? Oh, jo- Joe Swanberg. Um, and there are certain scenes, it just feels so natural. I'm like, this is how people talk to each other.
1: It did, it did. Yeah.
0: And, and I just wish that maybe some of that natural dialogue could come back to some black content, um, that we can have intelligent black characters. Um, but also please stop making them sound like a fucking encyclopedia. Like that's not. <laughs> they don't people don't talk like that like people make fun of like aaron sorkin right like his characters talk super quick <laughs> people like right. people don't really talk like that but we understand that it's an affect right like that's part of his directorial, um directorial or his writing style right so it, it and like i said dialogue should be able to do whatever but i just feel like with black content i just feel like we have to let our characters be messy we have to let them be problematic, right? So, you know, like a scene like Insecure, like uh, I remember from season one where Molly found out that the guy that she was dating um, had slept with another man and then she was having issues with it, right? So you had Molly who was right. clearly bi- biphobic, but there was a scene afterwards where she's with the girls, she's with Issa and Kelly and all the other ones and they were pushing back. You know what I mean? So you got to have that balance. Like, okay, you can let, molly be Uh problematic uh but also show the balance of other characters who may not be as problematic to help her work it out and to help the audience help it out because you need to give them two equal points of view you know what i mean so yeah um i'm not here for these kind of block content creators i don't want that shit (laughs) send it back (laughs) You know, like I want I want I want my content to be engaging. I want it to be fun. I want to cry. I want to laugh. And I want it to be fearless. I I want black content creators to be fearless and not be afraid of. Oh, I'm going to, you know, offend again, like I said, you know, barring being homophobic or transphobic or whatever, but just let your characters be messy. Let them be flawed. Right. You know, so. But yeah. Um, But also say. I love 40-year-old version. I hope people (laughs) love it as much as I do.
1: (laughs) I agree. And
0: I think that Rada is just, she's so much fun. Like, I can't wait to see what she comes up with next.
1: Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. This was just, I, I know that this was a culmination of years of work for her going from, you know, stage show to YouTube series to now, you know, movie so, you know, obviously she's got the chops, you know, writing for, you know, she's got to have it and empire. So I know she's got more coming, but I- I'm really excited to hear more from what she's got coming from her perspective.
0: Right. Right. All righty. So that is our review. 40 <laughs> year old virgin. <laughs> And other things,
1: <laughs> yeah, and other things, lots of other things.
0: <laughs> uh, thank you, Jerry, for, for of course,
1: of course, us. no problem. I'm about to go watch the boys, and you know,
0: oh my God, where's my liquor? I just after last week's episode, <laughs> after last week's episode, I was like, why did I watch this sober? I should have um, I should have had an edible before that because that Yeah,
1: I was about to say I'm gonna need something a little stronger than liquor.
0: I did the season finale. But, so it's like
1: Is it oh yeah. snap? All right. Yeah. Let me go, let me go get ready.
0: <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for listening to another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. See you on the other side.